Hello and welcome to the Real Film Podcast. This is the review show presented by Real with me, Corey. And me, Phil. Hello. So today we're reviewing some good films, some good, good <laughs> films. Uh, Are we? Today we're, yeah, well, sorry. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, today we're looking at Nia DaCosta's Candyman, uh, Sean Levy's Free Guy, and uh, forgive my pronunciation of this name, Liesl. Tommy's respect. Um, but first, Phil, I actually, just before we started this, actually, I saw an email that we got, uh, that Real got. Uh, <laughs> it was from a little film festival. And do you remember, obviously, last year we were we did uh, the London Film Festival. Yeah. And there was a film called I Am Samuel. Yes, I didn't get to see it. This was one, because I do you remember I was working, because it was a two-week festival, wasn't it? I was working for the first week. Yeah, I got the second week off. You managed to see it in the first week, didn't you? Yeah, and obviously it's a great film, but one thing I found interesting is that basically this film festival have emailed us telling us that uh, that year on that the directors come out because Kenya, this is where the uh, Samuel is from, uh, who's a, a closeted homosexual and because of, you know, his father and his family and society can't come out, but apparently Kenya have banned the film. That is mental and yeah. quite disgusting, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's very sad, actually. I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a great film, and you know, it's a very important story. So, it's a real shame. I just, I thought it was a really interesting thing. I just before, even like a few minutes before we started, I just read the email. So, uh, well, let's get on with it. Uh, I know that recently you've been frequenting the cinema quite a lot, right? I have been, yeah. So I managed to treat myself to one of those Odeon Limitless cards. Oh, nice, and, nice. Yeah, and it's it's not it's lovely going again. Like it's one of those where it's just like it's only like a twenty minute walk away from me. So any evening that I get the chance, I'll go. I've seen all of these films we're going to talk about, apart from well, the the main films we're going to talk about. I think um, there's a few I haven't seen, but I've seen quite a lot of films in cinema recently. Should we start with? Candyman near the yes. film. Let's start with Candyman. That one's very interesting. So this one is, uh, as it says, directed by Neil DeCosta, but it's written by uh, DeCosta, Jordan Peele, and then Wynne Rosenfeld. Yes. Um, uh, I think this was uh, uh, an interesting project for them to take on because obviously it's sort of a remake, a reboot. I don't really know what you call it, a retelling of the Candyman story from the 90s. You know, you said Candyman in the mirror five times and he'll appear and kill you. Um, you know, I thought I thought it was quite interesting just before we start um, is I think Jordan Peele is obviously been really well known for his horror films and he's got a new one coming out soon. I thought it was really interesting that he's written one and then given it to someone else to work with. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and just before we... Go into it. So I just want to say uh, it, it's made a little, uh, a bit of money at the box office. It cost twenty five million to make, but it's made uh, seventy five million so far, or as of last week, I think it was. Which for an independent piece like that, I think that's good, especially in this time, in this you know uh, COVID times. Anything that makes its budget back, I think, is should be considered a success. But you actually saw it before me. So what did mm. you? What did you think? Well, I mean, just to go off the back of what you're saying about, you know, it making it money, I think 
to be honest, Jordan Peele is these these horror films that he's made that have like a socio political edge to them. I think he's he, he's started this. He's he's made them in such a way that has made them accessible. Uh, and I know this is Nia Costa's film. She's uh, a very exciting director. She made Top Boy. I don't know if you ever watched any of that on Channel Four. Uh, yeah. And also, she's you know in line to make her Marvel. Is it the what's the Captain Marvel sequel? I have no idea. <laughs> There's think, so many at the moment. Their names. Just I think all she's uh, she's going to be directing that. So she's a really exciting filmmaker, cool. and she makes Candyman very exciting. I think. Um, there's a lot of Jordan Peele in there, but I think there's a lot of DeCosta in there. I think one thing I really liked was, you know, I think, you know, the bits, uh, just to get into the specifics straight away, the sort of retelling of the uh, myth through the use of like the sort of like paper puppets. Mm, yeah. uh, very good. Uh, very intelligent. It's, it's a good film. I did have my hang-ups nearer the end when uh the message for me started to get a bit muddled and it's only in the slightest way i think it's one there was there's a certain flashback in which you know i want to keep this as spoiler free as possible but sometimes the hang-ups come through the spoilers i can't yeah and i want to explain myself a bit better is just that there's a flashback in which uh you know Candyman is the myth of you know years and years and years of hurt um to black people and uh but then it's really kind of unexplained that for some reason you know in a flashback that Candyman has killed a young black girl like I think just slightly the message gets a bit muddled but in terms of it has an air of like get out to it where it's Oh, it's incredibly entertaining it's saying something really important and also um it's yeah there's moments that are genuinely terrifying in it and some of the deaths in it are brutal um yeah. but yeah i think i think it's really really great and i i really enjoyed it uh i did you know i think it did slightly get muddled for me what about you yeah i understand i agree that i think the message did get um muddied at the end um, I don't think I agree to quite the extent that you did. Um, I also think that a little bit towards the end, it got, you know, it's something that Jordan Peele has got fantastic at. And I'm not saying it's the fault of Nia DaCosta's directing. So I feel like I ha- a lot of the stuff has to be in the script, but there's elements towards the end that I feel aren't as subtle as yeah. what's led up to it. And then other uh, Jordan Peele films. So I don't know. I just, I feel like, yeah, I agree. I feel like the last, I don't even want to say the last act. I just think it's the last, the last 20 minutes or so, maybe. Um, it just sort of, it, I think it loses its weight a tiny bit, but not to the point where I think it's a bad film at all. I think it's still a fantastic film. And as you say, with those um, sort of like the, the paper puppet things, I think it's absolutely genius. And just like, it, it shows how much originality has gone into it as well. I think DeCosta has brought, a really, really fresh spin on a story. Whether or not you've seen the film, I'm sure almost everyone has heard the myth of Candyman. And it, I think you have to be pretty brave to take that film and then put it in a different like sociopolitical context like this, because the original film wasn't about any of the issues that this film no. is about. And I think doing that, you 
have to it takes quite a lot of balls for one thing i think it takes quite a lot of courage to do that i think but i also think you have to have a sure hand when you're doing it. you have to know what you're doing and be like make sure that your message is strong and i do think the message is strong i agree that i think towards the end there are elements that sort of uh make it less clear exactly but i think up until that point i think it's uh it works really really well yeah, yeah. definitely i mean i think the costa and peel what they do with this film is just exuding so much confidence to turn a story like this um make it modernized make it you know terrifying as well i mean like i said it's it's one of the best things that's come from modern horror films is that they're able to uh, tell an important story while sticking to the horror genre and being scary, being yeah. terrifying. And there is a, like, I won't tell you who it is, but someone gets murdered in their apartment and there's this fantastic, I actually thought it was, I mean, it's a little bit on the nose slightly, but there's this fantastic shot of um, someone dying in an apartment, isn't there? And then it zooms out into the uh, sort of like gentrified, neighborhood and yeah yeah yeah. um no some of that i think the costa is in full control there's um you know and i i think it is important to put respect on her name because you know she's the director and i know this is peel's story or but she also co-wrote it and i know he produced it so it's i think you'll find a lot of people saying oh well this is peel's like even me like I, i overhear people saying oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is uh, Jordan Peele's like you know next film, and it, I loved Get Out. I can't wait to see this one. And if you love Get Out, this is you know right up your street. But this is yeah to me, this is near to Costa's film. Um, yeah, and she's in full control, and just like I said, the film exudes such confidence yeah. as a filmmaker. And yeah, yeah, it's a really good film. But like I said, it does have those for me. It does have those hang ups slightly. Uh, and I agree with you. I do think it. The last 20 minutes or so become a little bit heavy-handed in a way as well yeah but i i still think uh, I, it doesn't ruin anything at all so do you want to talk about the performances then we're talking a lot about uh da costa do you want to talk about the performances because i think they're fantastic too definitely yeah yeah i think um certainly the central performance is fantastic yaya yaya abdul mateen the second am i correct there you go yeah i think yeah. so i think so yeah he He's got, you know, again, this is what I mean about the film, just such confidence. He, as a leading man, has fantastic confidence. He is anchoring that film really well. Yeah, when the film gets into like the campier side of its plot, uh, you know, its roots uh, coming from quite a campy um, horror film from the 90s, almost like B-movie style. I know that it has quite a cool following. He's still, I think the whole cast is still able to sort of just anchor it and keep within you know this very mature story it's trying to tell at the same time so i think very understated performances i'd say yeah i agree uh, i mean it's uh tiona paris i think is her name who plays his uh his partner and she's fantastic in it too she doesn't have quite as much screen time obviously as he does but i think she is fantastic on screen and i can't remember the name of the actor who plays her brother but he's like i mean just everyone in it i think is really really good did you so, recognize her brother from Misfits? Did uh, you ever yeah, watch I, Misfits? I, I didn't watch Misfits, but I saw trailers and adverts and stuff all the time. So I, yeah, knew, see, I knew I that, When yeah. I was a teenager, that was a big TV show for me. And I was just like, oh my God, it's him. It's like when I watched uh, Umbrella Academy. 
Yeah. And uh, it's just one of these faces, those faces, you know, when you're younger and you're watching these TV shows. Yeah. It was quite nice to see him in it. And he's really good in it, actually. He's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't have a lot of time, but I think what he does is great. Like that whole uh, bit of like him telling the scary story of the the Candyman, I think is, uh, it is him who's telling it, isn't it? Yeah, I think he he tells it. Yeah, he te- yeah, I just had to think about it for a second. He tells it to his boyfriend and then his you know, our two main characters. Um yeah, and then that and that's where he gets the idea from to make the project about it. Because obviously he's an artist, isn't he? He's an artist in this sort of gentrified area of New York. Um, yeah, I do think I do think they do well with that as well. I do think a lot of films that have a artist as their central character. I don't know if it's just me. Like I, I have no real connection to art or artists, like like painters, basically. Uh, mm. And I do find some start to slip into sort of this like pretentious side of talking about art and stuff like that. Uh, but it, again, it never crosses that line. Really, uh, it's not. It's I not think it like balances a, that well enough because yeah, definitely because because if you have the really pretentious art critic come up and they have that conversation after he's made his sort of first piece around Candyman. Uh, yeah. Say my name, I think he calls it. When you have that, I think it sort of like makes it, like it makes the pretentiousness grounded because they're, he's basically calling her an arsehole for the stuff she's, and like when she's talking, it's not like, wow, she's being so deep about his piece of art. You're like, wow, you sound like a prick right yeah. now. And yeah. I think I think it just, grounds it a bit reminds me of uh pretty much every character in uh velvet buzzsaw that a netflix film yeah. a couple yeah. of years ago which isn't an amazing film but it certainly kind of nails that kind of satire of the art art community definitely, definitely. but um so overall phil what are we thinking out of five i know neither of us have actually written a review about this that we'll <laughs> hopefully get around to it one day uh <laughs> out of five what are you thinking i gave it a four um it's a little bit of a generous four i think so as i say there are issues towards the end i mean considering that the film's only an hour and a half long almost a third of the film isn't as strong as the rest but i think everything that led up to it i mean from the get-go i was hooked i mean the um the the intro where it's like a a camera laying off the back of a car i think going through Mm. the street i think is is clever and it gets you hooked because it's so different i think because I, I I feel like I've always, like these two, uh, the previous two review shows we've done, I've, I feel like I've been very critical. I sound like a very critical person. But <laughs> uh, I think in light of how much I actually enjoyed the film, it did lose me a little bit in the last 20 minutes. I would yeah. probably agree with you there. I would give it a generous four. Mm. Um, it's very on the cusp of three and four, but it's just it's a very very captivating film everything the direction the writing and the performances are just all pitch perfect and like you said the last 20 minutes does start to lose you a little bit but um didn't mean i wasn't entertained yeah definitely no i think i think that's fair i think that's fair should we move on to our next film then yeah a little little bit more light-hearted this one <laughs> um Sean Levy's Free Guy, starring Ryan Reynolds in a very Ryan Reynolds performance. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm actually very interested to know what you think of this because, I mean, you're more of a uh, avid gamer than I am. So, from a, like a gamer's perspective, someone who enjoys games a bit more, did you kind of appreciate what this film was trying to do? 
Some of it, yeah. So just in case anyone doesn't know, the basic concept of this is that uh, Ryan Reynolds plays Guy, who is a banker in a video game. He's a non-playable character. Uh, and it's basically this multiplayer video game, and he's part of a repeatable mission where players can come in and rob the bank. So that's his his day is to stand there and be robbed multiple times a day. Um aspects of it I really liked and then aspects of it I didn't really like as a you know from a gamer's perspective I don't want to talk for all gamers out there either there's things I really liked about it and then there's things I felt like I mean we're getting in we'd have to get into specifics of the things I didn't feel so keen about but there's like so like things towards the end feel like they're written as a story point instead of like something that genuinely happens do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it just feels a little bit. It, there was bits of it that felt like a screenwriter writing a screenplay about video games, uh, and then there are other aspects that I think felt like this person actually plays games and knows what they're talking about. Um, I don't think that hampers or hinders it personally. Um, for some people, it might, but I'm sort of just accustomed to that now. And I, you're not going to watch Free Guy to be like, oh, I really want to see a very genuine experience of what is essentially supposed to be something like GTA Online. Isn't it? Yeah, That's well, something the, I mean, the sort of thing they're aiming for. Yeah, definitely. I think. I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry to ask as your uh, yeah, game yeah, aside, but as as a film, I think. Look, I think since Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds has established himself as a um, a very, very good and individualistic uh, comedic actor. So most films he's made since Deadpool have always been kind of, let's put Ryan Reynolds in this kind of arena. That's what it is. Like even the Pokemon movie was basically the Ryan Reynolds movie. (laughs) And I think this movie kind of, lives and dies with ryan reynolds and it's if you don't like this sort of uh very witty deadpan ryan reynolds humor uh you won't enjoy the film and my issue is is that free guy to me feels like the start of people getting a bit sick of it i like free guy i thought it was very very funny in parts um i mean it's very formulaic and you know i think as long as you suspend your belief going in you're going to have a great time i just Mm -hmm. think i just think there's only so many of these that ryan reynolds is going to be able to do before people start losing interest it does just feel like deadpool put into different scenarios yeah well you say that i don't think this is the one it might be the start this film so far has made $327 million, which considering it was released on Disney Plus as well as in the cinema, that is a mad amount of money. Oh, yeah, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not saying this is the one where everyone's going to be like, no, fuck this. I just think <laughs> there was moments in this film where, like, I mean, I love Deadpool. I like Deadpool too. I even really liked him in the Pokemon movie. <laughs> yeah. um, I, do, from, I get what you mean, though, yeah. Yeah, yeah. this very referential humour that is is very funny but in this it was more temperamental than it was consistent yeah and, and i think um, i think you hit the nail on the head as well about how the film lives and dies with uh ryan reynolds i i think there is a string of these films you've mentioned some of them where i think there isn't this doesn't have much outside of it other than 
Ryan Reynolds. I mean, potentially, I think the only other aspects that I really enjoyed were uh, Little Ray Howery, who plays Buddy. Yeah. I thought yeah. he was really funny because I think he played up because Guy is obviously meant to be this super naive uh, NPC who sort of comes to life. And he has to sort of pull that out with Buddy too. And I think Buddy was really funny. I think I think many people could have played him, but I thought he did it well. And then I thought Taika Waititi as the guy who runs the company, I thought that was really funny too. I I really like Taika Waititi when he's just dicking around as well. That's what he kind of just feels. He just feels like he's being a knob. Uh, and I think that works really well for the character. There is nothing else to the character other than, like he is what... 14 year olds would think a cool guy is yeah you know? yeah um but i thought he was funny in the role i think a lot of people i think the difference there is that a lot of people would have faulted in that role and i think they would have been irritating i think he worked it well enough to not be irritating in the wrong way at least do you know what i mean yeah i mean i really like jodie comer as well she's a fantastic actress mm. um mm. I mean, she is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean... It, in the film, I think she's fairly fairly forgettable in aspects. But yeah, I, I think mean, a I, don't, of, I don't think that's her fault at all. I just don't I think I do think a lot given. of it is fairly forgettable. Uh, I mean, um, I too, you know, the initial, like, punch of those jokes about, like, a... Um, like about NPCs and then, like, Kim just, like, walking through the street while, like, things are exploding. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I just I'm a bit yeah, like I said, I'm a bit worried that this is going to start because I really, really like Ryan Reynolds. I think he's really funny, um, but I just think this might be the start, yeah, of the movies that make me personally get a bit sick of him. Um, what was the? Sorry, I'm going to sidetrack completely here. What was that film that we watched at uni? Uh, oh yeah, and where he voices the fucking the dog and the, the cat, and they start talking to him. It was the voices, wasn't it? It was called the voices. Oh. And like yeah, the cat's Scottish a, as well. I think yeah, one of them Scottish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. God, yeah that, that was is, a very was, odd film, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't remember. Th- I don't remember if it was funny or not. It was a very odd film, though. I think that's I, all we said to each other. It was very odd. Yeah, I, I just I remember can, the, the heads talking in the fridge. Yeah, to him. yeah, it was a very odd film. But yeah. Anyway, it's easy, yes. It's easy. Just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got slightly sidetracked there, but um. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't really know. What I, I, to be honest, I mean, I've heard, you know, someone say it's a bit Truman Show-ish. It's a bit, you know, yeah. and to be honest, it, to me, the only thing it reminded me of as soon as it started was Lego Movie. And, yeah, uh, it, yeah. It really is like that. And to be honest, it's it's not as good as Lego Movie <laughs> and it's no. not as good as Truman Show, obviously. But, you know, like I said, suspend your belief and you will have a fantastic time. It genuinely is a really entertaining bit. And I loved <laughs> that scene where... Uh, Channing Tatum yeah. um, is in it, and he yeah. um, he's obviously the character of like a, <laughs> just a guy sat at home with his uh, headset on. It's yeah. really really funny. Um, so some of that stuff's really funny when it shows the characters and then shows the people playing them. It's yeah. really funny. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. No, I think I think there are some genuinely funny moments in it. As you said, I think there's a little little bit hit and miss, but I think for the most part, it's really watchable. And I think you know when people say they want to go to the cinema to watch a film that they can switch their brains off to. Yeah, I think this is one of those good films that you can switch your brain off to. You don't really need to pay attention to what's going on because it, there's nothing 
nothing really complicated going on. Um, I feel there's a lot of shit films out there that you could go and see instead. And I would rather something like this succeed and make a load of money because it it isn't bad. It's trying something different in some aspects, very formulaic in other aspects. But I think uh, on the whole, I think it's hearts in the right place and I think it's really good fun. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's comparable to something like Jumanji, isn't it? Where Yeah, definitely, um, yeah. It's, I think Jumanji's know, better, but <laughs> well, yeah, me too. But you know, they're not masterpieces. They're definitely kind of popcorn entertainment, high concept uh, adventure. And you know, when they're done well, there is absolutely nothing wrong with them. They're very, very enjoyable. And Free Guy is exactly like that. I would rather absolutely. watch something like Free Guy over you know any of the Fast and Furiouses because they are <laughs> infuriating. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, what what did you give Free Guy then? I think it sits very pretty at a three, a three star. I yeah, uh, I yeah. don't really see it going above that, and I think giving it a two star is really harsh because I had a hell of a good time watching it. Yeah, definitely. And I think I, I think just having fun in a film does count for a lot. But why don't we move on now to the final one that we've both seen? Yeah, uh, which is Respect, which is the biopic of Aretha Franklin, the great Aretha Franklin. Uh, yes, played by Jennifer Hudson, the great Jennifer Hudson. <laughs> um, and just first of all, I mean, just straight off the bat, I mean, Jennifer Hudson is absolutely spectacular in this film. Oh my God, um, absolutely. You know, this is a phenomenal performance. This is one of those, you know, biopics tend to be a great place for uh, the performance to be the best thing. And like I just think, I just think sometimes you can. I don't know where I'm going with this. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I because <laughs> I completely forgot the point I was going to make. No, so look, I'm I'm completely with you. They they act as a a really good uh, platform for actors to prove just how good they are. And look, I'm not the biggest fan of this new trend of music biopics that started. I know I know they've always been around, but they've become more popular since Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Um, they usually have a really good central performance, and that's no different with respect. Jennifer Hudson has one of the, the best voices in the world, and she, you know, Aretha Franklin picked her to play yeah. her. So yeah. uh, you know it's going to go down well. But respect has the issue that they all have is that they're all a bit by the numbers. Yeah. And the reason we pick out the central performance is because, yes, they are fantastic. Rami Malek is fantastic in Bohemian Rhapsody, but Bohemian Rhapsody sucks in every other aspect. Uh, Respect is better than Bohemian Rhapsody. I'll give it that. But it is still a bit by the numbers. It kind of just trundles along in the life of Mm -hmm. the person without really, I don't know, without really finding, it's going to sound really pretentious, but like the essence of the story yeah. that it's trying to tell. So like Aretha Franklin is, you know, a very, very interesting life. She was very close to Martin Luther King. Um, mm-hmm. She suffered a, an astonishing amount of abuse in her entire life. Something that the film really, really struggles to talk about. I think it yeah, kind of, it, it shows you it and then doesn't show you anymore. And you're like, so how does, how has that affected her? How is that? And it's like, you have all this like horrible stuff that's happened to her. And really all you want to talk about is just what the next hit was, what happened when she got became successful. And it is a constant problem. And uh, yeah, I, it is a shame. And it, 
I really like music biopics. Something like Walk the Line is a great example of absolutely a very yeah. good music biopic. Uh, another one is uh, I'm Not There, the half biopic, half you know, strange Bob Dylan movie that's unique. It's great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what about you? Sorry, I I, I went on a bit of a. No, that's fine. What did, what did you actually think of it? I agree with everything you say, and I think just going back to something you said really early on about it by being by the numbers as well. I think one of the issues that that ha- like comes with is the fact the film's nearly two and a half hours long, and it's yeah. like if you're watching an hour and a half or an hour and fifty film that's by the numbers, a, a bit like Free Guy. Free Guy is an hour and fifty. But yeah. it is by the numbers, but it, you can get on with it okay because it's not overly long. Whereas I think Respect is overly long because of how it's structured. I think if it were trying to, as you said, I know you say it is a little bit sort of pretentious saying like getting the essence of the story. But I feel like if if you're not telling something other than just relaying her story, I feel like like it's difficult to sit through the entire time so you know like um like uh one of my favorite biopics not a music one was first man the one about neil armstrong yeah definitely that damien chazelle did it is it is a film about neil armstrong going to the moon and being the first man to step foot on the moon but really it's about a father trying to grieve the loss of his daughter and how he copes with that. And I think that's where that succeeds so well and where respect doesn't, whereas respect doesn't really have anything else to say other than this is what Aretha's story was like. And there was lots of things that um, I didn't know about her that I learned from this. Yeah, but you've also too, got to take yeah. a... There's lots of things you've got to take with a pinch of salt because you don't know mm-hmm. what's fictionalized and what's not. Like you, you were talking about um, Bohemian Rhapsody a little bit. Uh, that was... A lot of that was fictionalized and reorganized, which I know a lot of uh, Queen fans had a problem with. I don't know. I haven't heard anyone say that about Respect yet, so I don't know. I, uh, I'm i going on good faith that the filmmakers didn't, because, I mean, she was still alive when they started making it, wasn't she? Yeah, I, as uh, I understand, she was quite involved. I, don't, I mean, not to the point where she was like on set or anything like that, but she was definitely involved in production, because I know that they'd been, been talking about making it for like you know, over 10 years now. Well, there's there's an interview with uh, Jennifer Hudson where she says that she was chosen over like 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, by 2007, to play was her. it or something she said yeah, like that? Yeah, something like that. It's crazy, it's crazy. Um, but I mean, outside of everything you say, I think the most important thing that I think the film does wrong is, as you said, was uh, with the way that it dealt with her abuse. Because I think for me, the thing I felt that was most egregious is that I felt like the film kept forgiving the characters who were abusive towards her in order to keep them in the story. Like it kind of felt like they didn't know how to keep them around if they were abusing Aretha. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, especially towards the end, there was moments towards the end where it felt like Aretha was, well, not even Aretha, but the film was forgiving her father for what he did. Yeah. And it was just like, I don't know if Aretha ever forgave her father for how he treated her, but it didn't feel like a genuine like reaction to that. It, it kind of felt like it was forgiving him. So when it comes to this really emotional ending, which is recording of, um, what's the actual album called? Was it, uh, is, is it called? Oh, it's the, gospel, it's the gospel one, isn't it? 
Yeah, I can't uh, remember what it's called. But... I don't actually remember what the album's called. I did look it up afterwards. I was quite tempted yeah. to listen to it. Well, I, I mean, most people have listened to something off of it. It's her best-selling oh, yeah. album of all time. You know, we've all heard at least one or two songs off of it. But I, I think I felt like part of that scene, which I do think is very emotional and has a massive impact, part of it is going through and seeing all the faces of everyone and seeing their reaction to Aretha finally being able to battle her demons. But yeah, definitely. there's this there's this there's this issue I had where it's like her father, you can see him being proud of her and, you know, seeing how far she's come and all this. But it's like he's a large reason why she's had so many issues up until now. And I just felt like I, just, I think this is the biggest issue I had. And then second to that, as you say, there was just, it didn't really feel like there was much point to the story other than we're just going to tell you Aretha's life, yeah. which is interesting. But I feel like there was a lot more important things that, that should have been covered. I think that's a pretty good way of putting it. It's as a film as a whole, it's interesting, at times entertaining, but there's not a lot of depth. No. And But one thing the movie does so well, and this is actually one it has one of my favorite scenes i've seen this year is when she you know when she starts to find her voice as an artist and she goes back to i want to say alabama and she's in um i might not be alabama i apologize but um she's in the room with all the musicians and they're all yeah. real musicians so this yeah. is an incredible scene because i mean i'm not a musician i have no musical talent at all but what the film does is really uh like set aside you know why people like call themselves musicians like how you don't just pick up an instrument and play it these people like feel this music they can bounce off each other and about and in this one scene she's able to find her voice while they are quite literally finding a sound between all of them yeah and it, it's actually totally quite agree. spectacular to watch um yeah. i would say yeah like i said that's literally one of my favorite scenes that i've seen this year by country mile but you know, it, it has a couple of moments of that, a couple of scenes of them doing that. Yeah. But then the film as a whole really just cannot get to that level. Uh, it yeah. just, and it's a real shame. I totally agree. And as you said, what, what I think is really interesting about those scenes as well, is, uh, this is going to sound like we're just constantly ragging on Bohemian Rhapsody, which we are. Yes, we are. Because it, crap. Um, but there's the moments where they're making the songs in Bohemian Rhapsody don't feel genuine they feel yeah. scripted whereas these moments feel so authentic Definitely. where like like that they'll do a song and it just doesn't feel right and there's just things they keep doing different things with it to make it work and they do that multiple times throughout i know which scene you're talking about in particular but they do it multiple times where they're just sort of trying to find the song in the you know the either whether or not it's a it's a rough recording or it's just written down on a sheet or whatever it's just i think yeah, those those sequences are really, really engaging and really captivating. And I think, as you say, you know, Jennifer Hudson's got this incredible voice, which just makes it work so much better. Like everything is working in those scenes so well. And I think if the rest of the film had managed to sort of um, engage with that authenticity, I think I'll probably be talking about it in a um, lot nicer way. Yeah, I mean. I mean, it does sound like we're ragging on it a lot, and we are. Uh, but 
<laughs> not as much as Bohemian Rhapsody, though. No, no, it's uh, it's better than Bohemian Rhapsody. And <laughs> I think for me, if I was going to summarize, like, what if I was going to tell someone why to watch this, it would be for the musical scenes, uh, the scenes of yeah, music definitely. creation, and also just for Jennifer Hudson. She is absolutely fantastic, and I think the supporting cast is great. It is more, it is mostly her show. Forrest Whitaker's great. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think I think she's fantastic. And come you know award season, it wouldn't surprise me if she's uh, maybe not a favorite, but certainly in the conversation. Yeah, I mean, I, I I haven't I personally haven't seen anything yet which I think would like I I think is as dead set as this to to at least be in contention. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm excited to. Uh, I'm excited to see what comes up with competition. I really like seeing a film where you see an aspect, whether it's cinematography or direction or writing or acting or whatever. I like seeing something and be like, wow, that's going to be like, you're going to have to beat that to, you know, be in contention for winning the awards. I think that's always yeah. a really exciting thing to see. Every time I do that, though, they end up not even being in the conversation. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I think but, this um, is not a strong... I mean, Jennifer Hudson's loved by the Academy, isn't she? So. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, she won in 2007, in fact, I think, Dreamgirls, oh, oh. or 2009, I think. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, she's she's a great actress. So, I mean, what were you saying? Out of five, uh, overall, what did you give it? I've given it a three, but I'm always toying between a two and a three. I think a two seems a little harsh, but I think three seems a little generous. So I don't know, somewhere between there for me. See, I sit pretty comfortably at a three. I think it it's the same as a lot of the music biopics that over over the years, and a lot of just biopics in general. Uh, it sits with all of them, not Bohemian Rhapsody. That's shit. But, um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think it just it really struggles to. Again, I don't really want to say this because it sounds pretentious, but it just struggles to know what the film's trying to say and trying to find its essence. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for Jennifer Hudson, the film would be so flat. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think a three. I did enjoy it. I think I enjoyed it for the most part. Um, I think it's some quite touching stuff around Martin Luther King as well. Although not, oh very, yeah, for sure. Not explored very in depth again, but um, yeah, definitely. I would say definitely watch it just for Jennifer Hudson. For sure, for sure. So we've hit our main three films that we were going to talk about. What else have you seen recently that you think's worth mentioning? It's just one actually this oh. this time. Um, I've not been quite as on it as uh, in <laughs> recent weeks, but uh, it was called Censor directed by Prano Bailey Bond. Um, kind of an ode to the video nasty era. All those mm. uh, delightful films. That, uh, <laughs> um, and it's about a uh, someone who works on the censorship board who watches these video nasties and basically has to give them a rating. Uh, and she kind of starts to become like compelled to explore one of the directors because he makes a film that uh, reminds her of like a previous tragedy. I won't go into it too much because it starts to get a bit like psychedelic. The, the kind of the balance between Ode and it becoming video nasty are kind of, uh, they start to come a bit blurred, which is, it's fantastically made. Mm-hmm. Uh, central performance by Neve Lynch is really great. 
Um, and I think it's the kind of film that unfortunately will go a bit under the radar. And I've heard some people say that sort of thematically and I guess it basically is a tad too long, even though it's, you know, pretty standard feature time. It's a shame. I think it is a bit it what it's trying to explore is really good, but I think it needs to explore more and needs to enable uh for it to be justified as a feature film, I think. Um, But, like, the way in which the film's made, you know, being an ode to the video nasty, it very often flips between this sort of, like, very crackly VHS-looking film to this (laughs) very slick modern film. And it's really well made. I just, it's a shame that it starts to feel a bit shallow as the film goes on. But, yeah. Yeah, I would still watch it. I'd still watch it if you are like if if you are a kind of have an intrigue or an interest in the video nasty era um mm. it's definitely great to watch cool well i'll have to check it out i'm gonna give you some uh some things to talk about while well, i'm gonna talk to you you're gonna, gonna talk, talk at, at me you. i'm gonna talk <laughs> at you for a little bit because i've watched three things that are worth talking about so the first one i mentioned briefly i have spoken about it before but i hadn't finished it it's finished now which is the what if marvel tv series yeah, uh, it has officially finished. It was good. Uh, I think it was different. Um, if you like Marvel and you are a bit like me, where you do like the films, but they've gotten a little bit, you're getting a little bit of Marvel fatigue and you're some of them blur into one. Um, I think it's quite refreshing. It starts off, you know, when I first watched it, the first episode is about Captain Carter, which is what if Peggy got the serum instead of. Yeah. Uh, Steve um, to become Captain America and when I first watched it I was like it was a little bit bland it's a little bit like like not really much ends up being different and it kind of just felt a little bit hollow but in retrospect it actually works really really well because some of the series is very different and shakes things up a lot so it actually eases you into it really well and then it has like an Avengers sized thing at the end of it Um, it's interesting Uh, if you're a Marvel fan I think it's worth a watch Nice. Uh, something else I watched was a documentary called Bob Ross, Happy Accidents, Betrayal and Greed, which was directed by Joshua Rove, Rove, some, I don't know how to pronounce his second name. I apologize. Uh, which is an interesting documentary about, uh, Bob Ross Inc. Essentially. I don't know if you've seen this, Corey. I haven't seen this film. I obviously, I, I read your review of it to, um, thing. And to be honest, I don't know that much about Bob Ross either. I know who he is and I've watched a couple of episodes of his show, but I'm sure it's very, very interesting. So, Well, I think it's really interesting. I love the Bob Ross show. I um, I discovered it years ago and I've had a fond... I, I like painting anyway. I'm terrible at it, but I like doing it and I find it really fun pastime. I really don't like the pretentiousness around painting. So this is really great because it's essentially half an hour episodes of this guy. Essentially, it's essentially TV therapy and it's really really easy fun watching i think we have watched it hungover together yeah, lots of times. at university yeah, yeah. Times. yeah so the film essentially talks about how a lot about bob so it's mostly around his son steve uh and his son is so looks so similar to him and speaks so similar to him he's so soft um and for people who like bob ross this is going to be a fascinating documentary and i'm sure you'll love it because it's essentially about it tells you lots about bob that you wouldn't have known already the reason like big things like 
I mean, the big things for people like, you know, he's known for having his soft, soothing voice. People find it calming and relaxing. He originally started that to be sensual to reach a female audience. He thought it would wow. be sexy for women, which is like completely changes so much of what like, <laughs> <laughs> like, but anyway, there's, there's loads of things you learn about that. You learn, you just becomes a deeper human for you. And, it, and you learn about how there's this couple who befriends him and essentially stole the Bob Ross uh, Inc. company from right. Steve. Um, and it's a very sad story because you know if the film was being if the film wasn't made the way it is, like at the start, Steve tells you he doesn't own the rights to his own name. You know, the BRI owned the, the rights to his father's name. It's it's sad. Um the story the the actual sort of documentary loses its way a little bit towards the end because i think it kind of falters at the last hurdle where it's like he you know they've got this now what and then it kind of just stumbles a little bit but then it recovers it by showing the impact that um it's had on people in a modern day and i think i think that's all very interesting i think if you like bob ross it's really worth a watch if you know nothing about bob ross i think it would be an interesting way to learn something about him and it's an interesting story but yeah yeah i I feel like uh, uh, sorry to interrupt you i feel like a lot of documentaries do this don't they i mean there's, there's a balance that if you're if you're talking about a specific thing uh and like you said people who like bob ross will really find this documentary really interesting the thing i'd be more interested is it if you don't like it's not that you dislike bob ross but if you like me don't really have an opinion either way because you don't really watch it would i find it like interesting would it you know would it captivate me as someone who doesn't know bob ross i think so i think so because it kind of just shows like we see it now as this you know relaxing man who paints for half an hour right yeah that's a lot of what it is but it was a phenomenon back in the day and that's where the story starts where how he got the show and everything like that and i think that's all very interesting i do think i don't think everyone will find it interesting but i think most people will find something interesting in here and it's relatively short i think it's about an hour and 10 or an hour and 20 it keeps it quite tight um so i think uh i do think it's worth watching i do think there is something in there for most people you know you will find out something you didn't know before and i think you'll find it interesting and i just something i realized as well is because of the nature of the the show was really low budget um there are photographs of bob and stuff but he wasn't you know he was it was a, a big show but he was a very private person so there's not tons of photographs and videos yeah so they use this sort of painting they like they use paintings throughout to illustrate certain scenes and sequences and stuff of things that wouldn't have don't have any photographs or any videos of which is sort of a, like a nice like goes along a nice accompaniment to like what bob actually did paint so oh cool maybe yeah. i'll check it out maybe i won't yeah it's a it's an i think it's a, it's, a, it's an easy watch i think something that they do as well just one last thing before i move on to the last thing is uh somehow they managed to make the tone of the show come through in the documentary like even yeah. in the tensest most horrible moments you've still got the same pace and tone of the show which mm. is i think is that's a uh impressive achievement i think yeah yes i've got one last thing to talk about i know i've gone on for a while but i need to <laughs> rant 
slightly. I'll keep. I'll try and keep it short. Cinderella, twenty twenty one. Cinderella. Wow. I know we've okay. had a million Cinderellas out there. Uh, it's directed by Kay Cannon, who you'll know from writing the Pitch Perfect films, and yeah. also directed Cockblockers. So, you know, I don't know Cockblockers. What's that? Well, blockers. Oh, blockers. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. yeah. John Cena. I mean, and, yeah. That's how yeah, really yeah. I, do you know why? I, I like that film. But yeah, carry it's, on. Sorry. It's a good film. It's, it's a funny film. It's a funny film. This is not. This is dreadful. It's absolutely fucking woeful. It's got uh, <laughs> Camilla Cabello in her actor acting debut. She's not particularly bad as an actor. She's n- nothing good. I would would never seek out a film with her in, but she's not like horrendously awful. Camilla Cabello is a singer. I'm sure I've heard her songs. I can't think of any off the top of my head. I know she's Havana Unana. You yeah. make my heart out in. That's a good song. You, yeah, it, it it's pretty good. I I don't know if the people who who produced that song are incredible auto tune or the people who recorded the stuff for this film are bad at producing music because her takes her songs are terrible if you use tiktok at all when this film first came out there was a video of like a bunch of them singing together and then it cuts to her and she keeps doing this thing with her voice where she'll sing a note and then be like and you're just like that it's bad it's really bad um there's almost no redeeming aspect of this film whatsoever the story is fucking paper beyond paper thin it is the cinderella story but as like stripped down as humanly possible because every bit in between is a really crap pop song so none of the songs are original they're all rehashes of pop songs and they are all just shoehorned in there so like there's a bit you know so you know obviously you have your he's called prince robert in this the robert the the prince who cinderella will obviously marry he has that ball where he he basically has all the people come uh, and he has to choose who's going to be his next wife. He's dancing in the middle of the dance floor, like hanging out in the middle of the dance floor with all his men, like all his buddies. And loads of women came in. I can't remember what song they sing, but they're singing a song. And then he starts singing uh, Seven Nation Army by White Stripes. And okay. it's just like, um, you know, it, it's just thinking about like, oh, you know, a Seven Nation Army can't hold me back. That's the reason that song was chosen because he wants to get away from these women and nothing's going to hold him back. They are terribly chosen songs. Most of them are pretty poorly done. They are nothing on the actual original songs themselves. There are two <laughs> aspects in this which are vaguely redeeming. One is Adina Menzel. She's a fucking gem. Her voice yep. is incredible. And yeah. her version of the Madonna song, I can't remember which one it is, but she does a really good version of a Madonna song. That's pretty much the only good song in the whole thing. She's great in it. I love Adina Menzel. Everything else about it. Apart from, there's a bit with Pierce Brosnan, right? So he plays the king. He plays Prince Robert's dad. And... of the film, he's boring and lame and shit. But there's a bit where basically he's uh, like trying to win back his wife because he's become this boring old king. And he starts like he he like is in his knight's armor and he's singing at a window. And like everyone knows that he's a bad singer. And it almost (laughs) feels like a bit of a sort of bit of poking fun at him being really bad in like Mamma Mia and stuff because he's just singing awfully and everyone's cringing. And that's kind of funny. Everything else is terrible. It's really bad. I mean, there's just like, 
like it, they tried to make it inclusive by you know having people of all races and all genders represented here but that just feels like hollow sort of like pandering to the audience um yeah. i'm all for uh inclusivity but have a reason to and don't do things like the one black guy who sings raps no one else raps in the film that's just tone deaf like w- w- like it's yeah there's a lot to hate about this film it's dreadful do not watch it i'm i think i'm done well there is that balance always with films that try to be inclusive is one one film that i actually really really like for it is the eurovision film yeah because there's that really great scene that's basically like a it's like a 15 minute music video where it like <laughs> skips through this like giant mansion and is but it's like a celebration it's a celebration yeah, of all yeah. this talent that's in this one place and that's really great but yeah, it doesn't sound amazing, and to be honest, it didn't sound appealing when it because James Corden is, you know. Oh my god! Yeah. Don't get me started. So James Corden's in it for collectively probably less than fifteen minutes, and oh. it is fifteen minutes too long. He is like I don't mind James Corden pre going to America and becoming the talk show host. I think James Corden's talk show host is insufferable. It yeah. is that just for just condensed and then it's so annoying as well because you have loads of british comedians who are really funny you have ramesh ranganathan and james a caster and then uh, james corden are the mice who get turned into humans who then take her to the ball right and they are none of them are funny like the pinnacle of one of the jokes is james james corden like coming from off camera running back and being like do you know how humans pee they pee out of their front tail and the other guys are like oh my god no way really and you're like what (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) um yeah dreadful uh woeful don't watch it so what i gathered from that is that you love it yeah five star (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's reels first six star <laughs> well i think we'll end it there before phil loses his head and oh yeah tries to hunt down james corden um <laughs> but hopefully on the next show we'll have some other big big films we both would like to go and watch bond mm-hmm. um I still haven't seen Shang-Chi, which I can't believe. So hopefully we'll get to see that. And maybe the new Netflix film, The Guilty. One thing yep. before we finish, though, I know that um, we probably won't be on the next show because it hasn't been released. But Phil, you actually got to watch Last Night in Soho. I did, actually. Yeah, we'll just quickly talk about it. I won't talk about it too much because you'll get to watch it. I got to watch it at the BFI Film Festival. Uh, Edgar Wright's newest film um, starring uh, Tom Zinn, McKenzie, uh, and Taylor Joy, uh, Matt Smith among other people the cast is just stellar um i don't say too much about this film i was talking to you earlier before we start recording about i'm writing the review at the moment it'll be hopefully out tomorrow um it's a difficult film to talk about because i feel like a lot of the enjoyment uh relies in the unraveling of the mystery of figuring out what's going on so it's uh tom's and mckenzie is a uh young girl from Cornwall who's starting fashion college in London and she ends up in a bedsit and when she dreams in that room she follows and you tell her joys Sandy as she sort of goes around 60s London um it's super interesting I think it's 
chaotic as hell. It is all over the place, mostly in a good way, not all in a good way. Um, but I think it's it's unlike anything you've seen Edgar Wright do so far. It's super interesting. I think it's his strongest. It's odd saying that it's a chaotic film because I think it's his strongest direction. There's so many things in this where you're like a lot of it gets spoiled in the advert. I don't know if you've seen an advert for it. There's a moment where Anya Taylor Joy is dancing with Matt Smith, and as she spins around, she becomes uh, Tom McKenzie. And right. it's things like that. There's so many moments where you're like oh god you're getting so good at what you do um, <laughs> but i think it's really really interesting really worth watching i think it's going to be a really like big marmite film i think you're going to love it or you're going to hate it uh, i really liked it oh, i think it's worth checking out yeah good stuff i mean like i said it's obviously because it's at the film festival probably won't be out for a few months so when it does come out i will i'm very excited to go and watch it um yeah obviously we're both big edgar Wright fans uh so we can add that to one of the shows then but yeah for next time we'll hopefully both watch bond uh shang chi and maybe the guilty or maybe we can find something else well i was gonna say um uh the new halloween film comes out this week so we might be able to watch that uh, maybe also... <laughs> <laughs> no no yeah that's a good idea and then June comes out in a couple of weeks as well, so we might. Be able oh to yeah! Oh my god! I'm so excited for that. I don't know if we'll be able to if we do the review show before that comes out, but yeah, we've got a lot, we've got a lot to watch. Yeah, definitely. So uh, let us know what you think of our opinions. I know uh, <laughs> we did a lot of. Uh, I mean, if you take one thing away from this podcast, it's that we both dislike Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, and I hate Cinderella and James <laughs> Corden. Yes, Phil <laughs> hates James Corden. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to let us know what you think, you can find us on all the socials, Insta, Facebook, Twitter. We're at Real Reviewing. If you want to literally tweet us directly and tell us how much <laughs> you fucking hate our opinion, then you can find me at Cospjord. And me at Philson Wilson. Yeah, and if you want to find the podcast, you can just go to Real Reviewing or you can go to Anchor FM uh, where you can find it there. Or... Anywhere you want to listen to a podcast, we're there. We're here. We're there. We're everywhere. <laughs> we're everywhere. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs>